let's all stand and let's have our men come and let's take this service to the Lord tonight. Wasn't that a blessing? Every week, seeing these young people serving the Lord. And said a couple of weeks ago, you old folks ought to be jumping pews seeing these kids come along serving the Lord and doing something for God. Amen? Amen. Amen. That, that's better. That's better. Amen. Let's pray now and ask the Lord to touch us tonight and move in our lives. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask you to shine upon us. God, be with us tonight and move in our hearts tonight. Just stir us about what you're doing for Jesus' sake. Lord, thank you for the young people and what you're doing in the young people. I ask you, Lord, to continue to work there and continue to move there. Lord, I pray, Lord, for all of us tonight. May we be moved and stirred by the things of God. Bless tonight. Glorify Jesus, and we'll thank you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's get us a songbook. Turn on page number 561. 561. Since Jesus came into my heart. Page 561. On the first now. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I have lied in my soul for which long I have sought since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. seated let's let our Awana workers come and present our Awana awards tonight I believe we got the Awana orchestra going to play for us tonight <laughs> okay the Cubbies are going to sing a song for y'all tonight and then we're going to give out our awards they're going to sing Jesus loves the little children They've worked real hard, and they're earning their second elephant patch tonight. They've memorized four verses. And tonight we have awards for Amanda Hickerson.
Amanda Thompson, Garrett Woody, Logan Hedrick, Andrew Thompson, Ashley Porter, and Savannah Gaffin. Okay, we're going to start off with Nolan Woody, one of our second graders. Nolan's in his last book. He's earned a red jewel, and he learned 15 Bible verses. And Chelsea Morrow's in her final book. She learned 15 verses. And this is Chandler McKinney. She is earning a red jewel for learning nine verses. We're the pals, the young men from the third and fourth grade. And tonight I'd like to, first of all, honor Stephen Gaffin for completing his Bible drill number four, which consisted of 16 Bible verses, memorization and recitation, and also learning about the crucifixion and the resurrection. So tonight he gets his gold arrowhead. And honoring Brandon Daggett tonight, I'd like to first of all award him a feather patch for being in Sunday school for six months straight and only missing uh, either no times or just once, a silver arrowhead for service, a second silver arrowhead for environment and health, and finally he has completed his first year handbook, his brave handbook, and is starting his warrior handbook. So congratulations. guards the fifth and sixth grade girls <clears throat> first off I want to say that they're new uh, Susan and her family you know they're pretty new members here but she has come in she's on fire she's been worried about uh, missing our fundraisers but she's done a wonderful job we told them we had a we're having a wanna quizzing coming up we had practice Monday night and told her told the girls to come back in and learn the first 12 words in the definitions well she came in and she had about 20 that she knew right off the top of her head, so she just kept going. So she's getting guard of the month. That's great. Let's let our ushers come forward to receive her offering. And uh, those little kids, wasn't that good? I told this group over here, and I said, now watch them. Learn from them here. Amen. That's great. What a blessing. I appreciate all of our water workers and the good job you're doing there. Let's pray and you give tonight. Father, we do thank you for the gifts of God you've given us in our children and our young people. We thank you so much for what you're doing. And I pray you continue to bless and to help us, Lord, to see the need of reaching more. Thank you for what you've done so far. And we just ask you just continue to enlarge it and expand it. Bless the offering now in the further part of the service. In Jesus' name, amen.
it would end. The dreams they had dreamed were not what they seemed. Now that he was dead and gone, the garden, the jail, the hammer, the nail, how could a
all stand tonight. Aren't you glad for that day? Morning had come. Amen. It wouldn't be anything if it wasn't the morning after it's all. We're going to ask the choir if they'll come on down now. And that's your cue to get out and move in amongst everyone. Over yonder, if that's the word we use outside of Daisy. Up yonder, everywhere. Get out, shake hands. Make everyone feel welcome tonight. That was almost continue shaking hands but turn over to page 525 heaven came down 525 get ready to sing
Oh, we've got a treat for y'all tonight. <laughs> we was going to get Rick to uh, help us with this song, and uh, we found a bigger dum-dum than he was. So. <laughs> and uh, we just hope it's a blessing. Now listen to the words. <laughs> this thing on? We on?
See, now you, you're sure now. You just thought he was a dumb, dumb to start with. <laughs> I'm just playing, Ed. <laughs> is straight and narrow but it leads to a better home it was made by christ one day at calvary while he suffered all alone this road may lead over many high mountains and valleys dark and low but i'll walk each day with sweet assurance that i'll safely my goal ahead. ahead there's joy and gladness and rest for my weary soul ahead, ahead. there is peace and everybody will be happy and whole you know that I'll be I'll be at home with tears will never ever be shed though so often this road My feet would stray, but a gentle hand still leads me homeward and helps me find my way as I climb each hill and across each valley by sand. I'm daily led, and I won't look back. I'm gonna keep right on walking because I know what lies ahead. And enjoy that now say amen i love to hear them sing but i'll tell you eddie in there makes me want to go out and buy a pa system in a bus and go singing myself amen <laughs> i heard a preacher one time say there was two kinds of preaching that made him want to preach those that could and those that couldn't eddie that's a blessing praise god i didn't put you in either one of the categories they kept telling me he's going to do the dumb dumb song. I don't know what he's talking about, but uh, that's good. Him and Darren up here together, that's kind of like dumb and dumber. You know what I mean? Hey, <laughs> man. That is a blessing. I tell you what, I've, I've enjoyed these folks since the Lord sent them here. And what a blessing. What a blessing they have been. Let's stand as we honor the reading of his word. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we go back to our Corinthian studies. 
And we conclude chapter 11 next Sunday night. We began chapter 12, and we began looking at the matter of spiritual gifts. Chapter 12 as a whole covers, chapter 12 covers spiritual gifts as a whole, I should say. And then you have the great love chapter. And then when you get into chapter 14, it really begins to look at such things as tongues, healing, and things of that matter. And it's a very, very fitting uh, time to look at it. And, I want, and next Sunday night, I want you to begin to be here and be more faithful because you're here tonight. But I want you to be faithful over the next several weeks as we cover this very important section in 1 Corinthians 12 and whatever. But tonight I want us to look at verses 17 through verse 34. And I want us to think about this thought. Pass the chicken before you eat the bread. Pass the chicken before you eat the bread. Look at verse 17. You'll understand it before I'm through tonight. Verse 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What, have ye not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another, and if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. Thank you. you. May be seated. Let's pray. And I want us to look at this very, very important passage. It is a very enlightening passage. It is a very important passage to the church because it deals with the Lord's Supper. But we'll look at it tonight in its context and everything that is going on. Our Father, in Jesus' name, I do want to thank you for the blessings of knowing you. 
Thank you, Lord, for the blessings we've enjoyed tonight. Thank you, Lord, for those who have taken their gifts and abilities and talents and dedicated them to you and allow you to use them to minister to our hearts and to bless us day in and day out and week by week. We thank you for this. Now, Father, we thank you for your word. And, Lord, I know that one day that we'll face you with how we hear your word. I know that I will face you one day with what I say tonight. And, Lord, I know that all of us, including me, will face you with how we hear what you say tonight through your word. So help us to realize tonight the importance of listening to your word and hungering to hear. So give us ears to hear what the Spirit of God has to say. Help us tonight and we'll thank you and praise you because it is in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. I recently came across what is called Things You Will Never Hear in Church. And they listed these things that you will never hear in church. For example, one thing you'll never hear in church is, hey, it's my time to sit on the front row. One thing you'll never hear in church is, I was so enthralled, I never noticed that your sermon went 25 minutes over time. You'll never hear in church, personally, I find witnessing more enjoyable than golf. You will never hear it in church or anybody say in church, I have decided to give our church the $500 a month I used to send to the TV evangelist. You'll never hear in church, I volunteered to be the permanent teacher for the junior high Sunday school class. You never hear in church, forget the denominational minimum salary. Let's pay our pastor so he can live like we do. Let me, let me repeat that again. Amen. <laughs> Someone said, you'll never hear in church, I love it when we sing hymns I've never heard before. I like this one. You'll never hear in church, Pastor, we'd like to send you to the Bible seminar in the Bahamas. A lot of things you'll never hear in church, but there are a lot of things that you will hear in church. And if you are in church for a long time, and should be, and if you have been in church for a long time, you'll notice there are some things that you'll probably hear in church somewhere and at some time. For example, you'll probably hear such things as fussing. And you'll probably hear such things as fighting. And you'll probably hear such things as griping. And you'll probably hear such things as grumbling. You can mark it down somewhere. You're going to hear those kind of things in church. There are a few exceptions, and thank God for it. But in the average church, it is not unusual to hear these kind of things. I read about a woman that went to the post office to buy some stamps. And the clerk asked her what denomination. She said, oh my goodness, has it come to that? Just give me five Catholics, ten Baptists, five Lutherans, and fifteen Presbyterians. I think about all the denominations we have. And it is a good indication and it reveals the fact that we don't always get along. And that believers don't always agree. The church of Corinth, as we have seen over the past several weeks, was not an exception. In the very beginning, we learned that there was a lot of factions in this church. And we learned there was a lot of friction in the church of Corinth. And at the very beginning, we saw that there was divisions and all kinds of problems in the church of Corinth. Once again, when we come to chapter 11, in the text that I read to you just a moment ago, we find reference to division in the church. And it even talks about one of the reasons why there was division. In chapter 1, we saw there was division because everybody had their own preferences and it caused all kinds of problems. Now in chapter 11, you find division and you find another reason for the division that was in the church. 
Now, the passage before us deals with basically two meals, if I might call them a meal. One of them was called in the early church the love feast. The other is known to us all simply as the Lord's Supper. And so you find there was a lot of problems. Everybody in the church was claiming to be a Christian, but there was a lot of trouble centered around these two meals. I think about a story I read one time about this man that laid out a church on Sunday to go bear hunting. And as he was out hunting, he came around this large rock and he ran straight into this huge bear and it startled him. And when he startled him, he slipped and he fell down the mountainside. His gun went one way, he went the other way, and he landed way below, breaking both legs in the process. And he looked up and he saw this huge bear coming down the bank after him. And he began to pray, God, forgive me for laying out a church. God, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of anything I've done. Lord, please forgive me. And Lord, would you please make a Christian out of that bear? And at that very instant, the bear skidded to a halt, fell to its knees, clasped its paws together and began to pray, Lord, bless this food I'm about to receive. Well, when I think about these meals in the church of Corinth, you find that everybody here claimed to be a Christian. But you'll find that there was one group that was trying to hurt the other and that was causing great harm to the other. Again, it revolved around two meals. Now, we'll just look at these two meals and consider the rebuke that Paul gives them. The first one has to do with a social gathering. And you see the division of a social gathering. Verses 17 through 22, Paul talks about a social gathering or a gathering of the believers together for a social matter. And he speaks to them about their behavior that was behavior in what was known in those days as the love feast. Now, this was what the love feast was. In the early church, there was a meal where the members would bring food together. This was very common in the early church. But all the members would bring food and they would pool that food together and they would eat together. It was a beautiful practice in the early church. But when, it, when you look at the church of Corinth, you find that they had turned it into a very ugly matter. For example... When you look at the love feast, you see, first of all, that it was a meal with a spiritual purpose. Again, the love feast in those days was where they brought food together. And the whole purpose of the love feast was to promote fellowship and to promote unity and a spirit of oneness among the believers. Again, everybody in the church would come together for a meal. Everybody would bring food and they would share that food with one another. They would pull it together a lot like we do in our fellowships on Sunday night and whatever. They would plan this. It was very common in the early church. And in the case where the poor had nothing in those days, there were many that were poor. And many church members were slaves, and so they didn't have anything to bring. But in pooling the food together, nobody did without. Everybody was able to participate. And the reason they did this was to have fellowship with one another. And the meal had the intention of drawing the believers closer together and deepening their oneness that they shared in Jesus Christ. The whole purpose of the love feast was to stress fellowship, to stress affection, and to stress mutual caring. The love feast had a wonderful, wonderful purpose. And may I say tonight that the love feast or the purpose behind it is one that every church ought to seek to imitate. One of the priorities of every body of believers ought to be to promote fellowship and to protect fellowship. And that ought to be a priority in the church. It may be the, by the means of a meal or it may be by 
means of other things. But every church should create and provide functions and activities that allow people to fellowship, allow people to share, allow people to spend time together and express care and love to one another. And the whole thing was to help people to get to know one another. And that's why every church ought to make these things a priority. Whether you have a fellowship meal, like a love feast or whatever, whether it be through Sunday school, but to provide functions that helps people to get to know one another and get closer to one another. It's a matter of fellowship. That was the purpose behind the love feast. It was a meal with a spiritual purpose. But in the church of Corinth, you see a meal, secondly, with a serious problem. For you see in the Corinthian church what was intended to help the fellowship was actually hurting the fellowship. Notice verse 17. Paul said, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Now again, I said the purpose of the love feast was for brothers and sisters to come together and to promote fellowship and to build up one another, get to know each other, love each other more, know each other better and whatever. And you would think that such a gathering and the purpose behind it would be something that, any, that everybody would commend. You would think that anything that any church was doing that was bringing people together, causing them to love one another, that everybody would commend it. But Paul said to the Corinthian church, he said, I cannot commend your gathering." He says in verse 17, actually, I have to condemn your gathering. For he said in verse 17 that their coming together was not for the better. Now look at the word better for just a moment. The word that is used here is a word that speaks of making something stronger. It speaks of developing a relationship and making that a strong relationship or developing steel or whatever it might be. But the idea is of making something stronger. And Paul said, when you're coming together, you are not strengthening fellowship. You are not strengthening unity in the body. You are not strengthening the oneness that you have in Christ. But Paul said, but instead, you are making things worse. You see that in the latter part of verse 17? He said, but it's for the worse. And the word worse that he used here is a very strong word. It speaks of something that is morally evil, that which is worthless that which is depraved, that which causes injury, that which is injurious. Paul said, you're not coming together and your gathering is not strengthening fellowship. But he said, your coming together is breaking fellowship. It's not building fellowship. He said, your gathering together, the purpose is, is to build fellowship and to have a worthwhile gathering. But he said, your purpose and your gathering, rather, is a very worthless practice. Look in verse 18. He begins to describe what was going on. He said, for first of all, he said, your coming together is not to strengthen. It doesn't help. He said, it's for the worse. And he said, I'll tell you why. First of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. You see that word divisions there? We get our word schism from it. We get our English word scissors from it. It is a word that means to rip something down the middle and almost to the point of it being irreparable. And Paul said, I hear that there instead of unity in your fellowship, you're split down the middle. Instead of in oneness there, you're divided. You're coming together in a love feast to promote unity and promote harmony and your oneness in Christ, but instead... 
You're being ripped apart. And he said, if you're not careful, it's going to be an irreparable division. He said in verse 19, For there must also, for there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest. He said, there's not only divisions in your church, but he said, there's also heresy. And when he uses the word heresy, it's not so much in reference to doctrinal heresy, but again, he uses a word here that means a separation or a choosing of sides. He said, there is a splitting among you. There's a separation there. You're being torn apart. And the reason you're being torn apart is that you're gathering in your little groups and you've got your little cliques. You remember in the very beginning, one of the problems they had was everybody said, this is my favorite preacher. And they all had their little groups and their little cliques. Here's another problem. Paul said, you're coming together in a love feast. You're coming together in this beautiful practice of drawing people together and building relationships, but instead, you're splitting the fellowship because every one of you, you've got your own little groups and you've got your own little cliques. He begins to tell in verse 21 what they were doing. Instead of a mutual fellowship among the members, there were these little groups and cliques, and he said in verse 21, For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another's drunken. He actually describes three things that were happening in the love feast. Now imagine in your mind, best way I know how to relate to it is that we had a Wednesday night supper before church. A fellowship, we'd say, before church, Sunday night, whatever it is, and everybody comes together. And this is what Paul said. He said, when you're coming together, he said, first of all, he said, for one thing, for in eating everyone taketh before his own supper. Paul said, instead of everybody getting together at the same time, you've got a love feast to promote unity. And he said, instead of everybody coming together at the same time, some of you are coming before the others. It's like Paul said, you saw on the screen that it was at 6 o'clock. And you saw in your bulletin it's at 6 o'clock. But some of you are showing up at 5 o'clock. And the reason they were coming early was there were certain people they didn't want to sit with. And there were certain people they didn't want to share with. And there were certain people they didn't want to fellowship with. So and so, and if everybody coming together at one time for a big meal together as a family, there was these certain ones that were coming before the others so they wouldn't have to fellowship with the others. And Paul also said something else going on there. He said, one is hungry. He said, "You love feast is a matter of everybody bringing food together and everybody pooling their food together so everybody has plenty to eat. It's not one little group getting over here with their little clique and bringing their own little food and whatever. It's everybody pooling the food together. But he said, what you're doing is you're coming together and instead of pooling your food together, you're getting in your little groups. And he said, in your, and the rich, he's talking about the rich getting in their groups, eating their food, and the poor had nothing or very little, and they were leaving hungry. And if that wasn't bad enough, Paul said, thirdly, he said, and another is drunken. He said, you come and bring your food and you so gorge on food and drink that some of you are actually leaving the love feast in a drunken condition. Now you can imagine why there was division in the church. Imagine in your mind now, let me see if I can paint a picture for you. Imagine in your mind, there's this little group coming in with baskets under both arms. And they walk into the fellowship hall uh, with their sanctimonious chin sticking out, strutting like peacocks. 
And they come in, they got baskets in both hands and got baskets under their arms full of food. And I can even hear one woman say, Honey, don't forget the cooler in the back of the uh, chair out there. It's got that wine I bought down at the market today and you'll need help because it's the big cooler. And when they walked in, instead of shaking hands with everybody, they paid them no attention, especially the poor. And I can even hear one of the women say, I can't believe she wore that old dress to the love feast. And I'd hear another and say, I know it. She wore that same old thing last Wednesday when we had the love feast. But they go over and they get in their little groups and their table is piled, piled high with food and there's an assortment of meat and assortment of vegetables and assortment of desserts. And as they eat and drink, you can hear them as they laugh and as they go on and tell their stories. And the more they drink and the more they eat, the louder they get. And when they're through, the men stagger out laughing and slapping each other on the back. And over here sits this poor little group of people that all they've got maybe is a loaf of bread and water. And they're being so treated by the others. It's no wonder there was strife in the church. It was no wonder there was division. Look at Paul's reaction in verse 22. He says, what? When he hears what is going on, how the rich are treating the poor, and how this one group and this group is looking at Paul said, I can't believe that. He said, what have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Paul says, what? When he hears about it, he says, what? I can't believe this. I can't believe your behavior. He is shocked that a Christian would behave in such a disgusting manner and treat another brother in Christ the way that some were treating others in the church. And he asked, have you not houses to eat and drink in? Now, where I grew up in the mountains of North Carolina, this statement was interpreted to mean that it's wrong to eat at church and it's wrong to eat in church. This statement in 1 Corinthians 11, where I grew up, was Bible for not having a fellowship hall. And if you had a Wednesday meal, you were apostate in the mountains that I grew up in. But Paul is not saying in that statement that it's wrong to eat in church or wrong to eat at church. But he was saying to the Corinthian believers, he said, you have literally destroyed the meaning of the love feast. The purpose of the love feast was to bring you together to promote unity and to promote harmony and to promote the oneness that you have in Christ. He said, you're not doing that. Basically, all you're doing is having a meal. He said, you can do that at home. If all you're going to do is eat, stay at home and eat. But he said, you, he said, you got houses to eat in. He's, and, and then he says in verse, in verse, he talks about in verse 22, not only, he talked about their actions, how it revealed their disrespect, he said, or despise ye the church of God. And the word despise literally means to look down upon someone, to show disrespect. Paul said, I can't believe what you're doing. You took something beautiful, made it something ugly, and if all you're going to come is get together and have your little old parties and get drunk at the house of God, stay home and eat. How can you show such disrespect to the church? How can you so bring so much disrespect to the things of God? And not only were they disrespecting God, but disgracing the poor. And he talked about in shame them which have not. Over here's a little group. Maybe they were not of the race that this one group was. Or maybe they didn't have the nice clothes that the others did. Maybe they didn't look like the others. And maybe they didn't have the styles of the others. And so they looked down upon them. And Paul said, you are bringing shame to them. 
You're literally embarrassing them. Instead of edifying, you are embarrassing. Paul says, what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I can hear Paul say, I praise you not. He said, you're not to be commended for how you're behaving. You're to be condemned. In fact, you see, the behavior was, as he described in verse 17, a moral evil. In other words, he said, it's downright disgusting how you're behaving in the house of God. Let me put it this way. You know what Paul was saying to the past, the chicken? He said, when you come to the house of God, when you come to the house of God, again, in a simple way, pass the chicken. He was saying, he was saying, we are all one in Christ. Now, I want you to listen to me. Just in case, just in case, there is somebody here that thinks you're God's gift to the earth and just in case you think you're God's gift to Temple Baptist, and just in case there's somebody here who thinks if there's ever a vacancy in the Trinity, you'll probably be nominated. I just want to say a word. The bottom line is tonight that every one of us are sinners saved by the grace of God, rich or poor. And we ought to look at each other through blood-colored glasses, the blood of Jesus Christ. There are no big shots here. There are no little shots. Every one of us should have been shot. But by the grace of God, we are what we are. And when we come together, nobody's bigger or better than the others. We're sinners saved by grace. And when we come together, the church is one place that makes all men equal. And we celebrate that oneness in Christ when we gather. So it doesn't matter who doesn't have this or looking out on someone else. God forbid that we ever have that kind of attitude. We're brothers and sisters in Christ and we should never act that way. You ought to be as free to walk up and to shake the hand of the poorest as quick as you would the richest. And God forbid the day that we ever make somebody special because of who they are and what they have and ignore somebody because of what they don't have. It doesn't make a hill of beans to me whether you're a millionaire or you draw $10,000 a year. Everybody here is equal in the eyes of God. Can I get an amen there? And when we come together, it is a matter of loving one another and a matter of building up one another and a matter of caring for one another. And Paul said, I can't commend you for what you're doing. You're not promoting your oneness in Christ. You're tearing it down. But look back in verse 19. I just want to throw this in here. It's something very interesting that he had to say. Look at verse 19 again. Before I move on to the next point. He said, for there must be also heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Let me read that again. Read it slowly. He said, there, is, there must be be also heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. The word approved there refers to those who pass the test. Here's what Paul is saying. If you really want to know what a person is, he said, watch them when there's trouble down the church. He said, if you really want to know who a person is and who's who, watch them when there's trouble. He's saying that when there's trouble, every old knothead in the church is going to pop up. And if there's a stink, every old buzzard's going to show up for it. But Paul said, if you really want to know what a Christian is and who a Christian is, watch how they act when there's problems down the house of God. You mark that down. Say amen. Can I get an amen there? Amen. Let me move on to the second point. Are you still with me now? First of all, there was a division 
of a social gathering. They gathered together socially to fellowship, and it was to draw them closer to one another. But there was also beginning in verse 20, or down in verse 22, a defilement of a spiritual gathering. There was a division of a social gathering, but there was a defilement of a spiritual gathering. Look what he said in verse 20. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Now, here's what they would usually do. They'd have the love feast. They'd come together, bring their food together, pull it together, and they would all share, and they would all care for one another and love one another and talk to one another and fellowship with one another. It promoted their oneness in Christ. It protected that fellowship. And then, after they had their meal together, then they would observe the Lord's Supper. And here's what Paul said to them. They would bring their food together in a love feast to promote oneness, and then they would have the Lord's Supper following that to celebrate their oneness. And Paul said to them in verse 1, he said, Look, what you're doing, you can't call it the Lord's Supper. Now, that may be what you're titling it. And that may be what you're putting in the bulletin. And that may be what you're putting on the sign so everybody knows you're having communion tonight. He said, You may be taking the bread, you may be taking the wine, but what you're doing is not the Lord's Supper. It's a mockery. He said, it's a disgrace to God and a disgrace to man what you're doing. So in verse 23, he turns his attention to the matter of the Lord's Supper. And in so doing, he gives us the clearest description of what the Lord's Supper is all about. In fact, this was written probably before the Gospels. And so he gives us here the first and the clearest description of what it means to take the Lord's Supper and why we ought to do it. Look at two things. Look at verse 23. There is a priority observance that Paul demands. He said in verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. The first thing he wants them to understand, he's fixing to talk about the Lord's Supper, he wants them to understand that what he's about to say is not his opinion. He wants them to understand. It's like he's saying, I want you to understand something. I'm not just sharing you what I think about the matter. This is what God has told me to tell you about the matter. He said, I want you to understand right up at front, this is what God said about the Lord's Supper. And he tells us and begins to describe the Lord's Supper and he makes it very clear that the matter of the Lord's Supper is a priority for the church. It is not something that we should do. It is something we must do. And we must do it because we're commanded by the Lord. Jesus gave the church two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And the church is commanded to observe these two things. It's a matter of priorities, commanded by God. And he lets us know that this is a very important matter it's what the Lord said do. And then he takes us back to the night before our Lord was crucified. And he lets us visit that sacred moment when Jesus spent his last hour with the disciples. And what has become known to, as to us as the Lord's Supper, Jesus gave us a model of observing the Lord's Supper. Look at verse 23. For I received of the Lord, God, this is what God told me, that which I told you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup which he had supped when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now Jesus gave us an example that night. He gave us an example of what to do. He told us we were to take bread and we were to take the cup. He not only gave us an example of what to do, but he gave us an example or told us why to do it. He said it was to be a time of celebration. Verse 24, he gave thanks. When he broke the bread, he gave thanks. He gave us a model. 
The Lord's Supper, when we come together and observe the Lord's Supper, we are to come with the spirit of thanksgiving. We're to come with the spirit of thanksgiving that Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins. We're to come with the spirit of thanksgiving to give thanks for what he's done. And it's not only a time of celebration he gave thanks, but it's a time of contemplation. For he said three times or twice in verse 24 and 25, this do in remembrance of me. When we observe the Lord's Supper, it's not only a time to thank, it's also a time to think. It's a time to stop. It's a time to set everything aside, to stop and to be silent and to meditate and to contemplate what Jesus Christ has done for us. For you see, we get so busy in life enjoying being a Christian that a lot of times we forget that what we enjoy is free, but it costs the Son of God his life. And so God gave us this ordinance so that so often we would stop our busy lives and we just halt everything and just sit down for a moment and remember what he did for us. He gave us two symbols to help us remember. One, he gave us the bread, symbolic of his body, so that we would never forget that God, the God of glory, stepped out of eternity into history, robed himself with human flesh, became a part of sinful man that he might die for sinful man. He gave us the cup which speaks of the blood that he shed and the cruel death that he died that we might be saved. And to remind us that we're not saved by our good works, we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and the finished work of Calvary. Not that our, there's no remission apart from the blood. So he gives us these things so that we'll stop and we'll celebrate what he's done and we'll contemplate what he's done. It's, that, it's because we do things, as you know, we are apt to do things different than anybody around here. And some of them all the time ask, what are you? Do you belong to this group? Do you belong to that group? And I say, we're just who we are. And no strings attached to me by any group. And I don't bow to anybody. That way I can do what God wants me to do, not worry about anybody else and what they think about the matter. But uh, we, we do things around here different, such as taking the Lord's Supper. Because in my mind, it's such a sacred, serious, special time. That's why we take the fifth Sunday night of every, uh, every fifth Sunday night and that we do more than just tag a service with the passing out of the bread and the wine. Our communion is a service. And we do that. There's a reason we do that. It's not because I don't want to preach that night. We do it because the Lord's Supper is so designed by God and ordered by God so that we would never forget what Jesus done for us and so that we would remember the cost that he paid for our sins. It is to be a priority. And he said in verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. He doesn't tell us how often to observe it, but it's very clear that he means it's to be done on a regular basis and on a permanent basis. He talks about a priority observance, how that this is commanded by God, we've got to do it. But then, Verse 27, he begins to talk about a proper observance of the Lord's Supper. The proper observance he describes. Look at verse 27. He talks about observing the Lord's Supper in a proper way. Look at this. And you ought to listen to this. Every one of you ought to listen to this. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now Paul said, now listen to me. Look up here, listen to me. Young people and everyone, if you'll take communion... We're going to be taking communion here Sunday week. Then you all listen to this. 
He said, it's possible to observe the Lord's Supper unworthily. And the word that he used there is a word that means to observe it in an irreverent or an improper way. He said, it's very possible that you could observe the Lord's Supper, take the bread and take the cup and do it in an irreverent or an improper way. And he says in there in verse 27, to observe the Lord's Supper in an irreverent and improper way is to be guilty of the body and the blood of Jesus. Guilty meaning to dishonor it. He said, when you, he said, when you take the Lord's Supper in an improper way, you are dishonoring what Jesus did for you. It'd be like, now listen, I believe in patriotism and I believe in being American. And I, I'm just, I'm like, and a lot of folks don't believe the way I do about things. And I have a hard time keeping my political views kind of suppressed at times. But one thing that I do have trouble with is people burning the flag and things like that. And folk get upset about not wanting to pass a, an amendment or whatever like that. Listen to me, that flag represents a lot of things. It represents some of your children that died on, on the field and things like that. It would be like taking the American flag and, and just burning it in the street. So disgracing it, not just the fact of the material, but for what it represents. And when we take of the Lord's Supper in an improper way, I mean, it's not just that we disgrace the symbols, but we are dishonoring what they represent. That Jesus Christ, our only hope of heaven, came and died for us. And if he hadn't come and died for us, we would have all went to hell. And it's possible to take the Lord's Supper and dishonor what Jesus has done. For that reason, to prevent such a thing happening, Paul gives instructions in verse 28, and he tells us, but let a man examine himself so that he eat of that bread and drink of that cup. He said, examine yourself. Because it's very possible you could observe the Lord's Supper in an improper way. He said, examine yourself. And the word examine simply means to put on trial. To be on trial for some crime. But everybody investigating you. He said, you're to do an intense searching of your heart to see if there is anything in your life that is wrong. And to see if there's anything in your life that displeases God. Now listen to me. I believe the Bible for one thing. But if there is one thing that I believe and I do with fear and trembling, it's when we observe the Lord's Supper. Because he tells us that if we do it in an improper way, he says, you examine yourself, you search your heart, is there anything that's wrong? He said there's a reason for it. Verse 29 for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily or in an irreverent or an improper way, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning of the Lord's body. When there is contamination in the Lord's Supper, there will be damnation. And the word here is not meaning that you'll go to hell, but it simply talks of judgment. Now listen to me. It is a serious matter to dishonor the work of Jesus Christ. That's not a joking matter. What Jesus did on the cross, it can't be taken lightly. It's not a joking matter. And he said, when you take of the Lord's Supper, that's something God's commanded us to do, so we'll stop and think about what he done. And he said, when you take that lightly, he said, God does not take it lightly. And he said, if there's an improper observance, look what he said. He goes back to the Corinthians. He said, he said let me just demonstrate it. He said many of the Corinthians and how they had lived and how they had behaved had reaped this judgment. 
He said, for this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For this cause. What cause? Because they took of the Lord's Supper unworthily. Because they came to the Lord's Supper in an irreverent way. Because when they observed the Lord's Supper, they did it with a dirty heart. They did it with the kind of attitudes they'd been over in the fellowship hall, acting like heathens, staggering out there, coming in the service, some of them even drunk, and taking the Lord's Supper. He said, for this cause, some of you are sick and some of you are weak. And the word weak that he uses there is a word that describes the condition that someone is left in after a long illness. It's like pneumonia or some illness and you, when you're, you've been in a, you're so weak and you can't hardly walk. That's the word weak. And the word sickly speaks of those who, have, who do not have good health. Kind of like I was visiting with a pastor one time and he said, I'm going to go to the hospital. Will you go by? I said, sure. I was going down the hall. I said, who are we visiting? He said, one of my members. I said, what's her name? He told me. I said, what she's in here for? He said, she's in here getting her tithe taken out. And it's like the Lord here is saying here that there's some that they're weak and they're sickly because of this way because they, they were suffering physically because of how they had taken the Lord's Supper. And he even went as far to say, and many sleep. Now, I want to inform you, he's not meaning that they dozed off during the service. See the word sleep that is used there? We get our English word cemetery from it. You know what Paul was saying? Some of them are in the cemetery because of how they have dishonored the things of God and the way they treated the Lord's Supper. Again, he comes back to the matter of examining themselves. Look at verse 31 and 32. For if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged, but when we're judged, we're chasing the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. You know what he says? Look, this is a serious matter to take the Lord's Supper. It is a serious matter to take the Lord's Supper because that, listen, I don't care what goes on. It may be a joke, everything else that goes about. I'll tell you one thing. When you observe the Lord's Supper, it is not a joke. And you may, when I preach, you may, you may sit around here and talk and pass notes and you may ignore me, you may not like this, and that may be fine. But when we put the bread and the wine out here, it is a different story. Because you're not listening to me, you are observing a command of God. And he said, you take the initiative and get things right in your life. Before you ever take the, the bread and the wine, you look at your heart, you get it right because if you don't judge yourself, I will judge you because you are dealing with that which represents my son and nobody dishonors the son of God and gets by with it. Are you listening to me? And he says, judge yourself and deal with these things in your life. That's why he said in verse 33, sons of all up, wherefore? Because of the way... And again, I'm not saying they had a fellowship all the most time the men homes, but just to help you illustrate it. He said, because of the way you're acting over there in the fellowship hall, acting the way you are, and then coming over here with that kind of attitude after you have torn down others and coming over here in church and taking the Lord's Supper, he said, some of you have already begun to reap the judgment of it. He said, because of this, he said, brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. He said, when you get there, listen, if they're running 45 minutes late, you better hold on and wait for them. I'm getting all this out of the Greek, you know. And he said in verse 34, If any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you come not together in the condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. You know, the best way I know how to sum it up what he said, he's saying, pass a chicken for you to bread. He's saying, pass a chicken. You know what I'm talking about? He says, share. Care one for another. 
He said, you don't go over there and ignore and then come into the Lord's Supper with that kind of attitude and that immoral, that evil in your life and expect God to ignore it. He said, no. He said, before you ever eat the bread, you pass the chicken. You share. You fellowship one with another. He said, let your goal be spiritual edification of people and let it be the glorification of God. Now, when I think about what he says, I don't know about you, but I believe if I was a Corinthian believer after I got this letter, I believe I would win to the table next time. And I believe I would have sat down with the poorest one in the church, don't you? And I believe I'd said, here, you take the breast, I'll eat the wing. I believe I would have understand the consequences of what goes on. What I'm saying tonight, what Paul was saying to all of us is one, that we're one in Christ and we ought to show it and care one for another and love one another. And when we come together to observe the death of Christ, it is a celebration of our oneness in the one that paid it all. Let's stand our feet, please. I'm glad to be in the family of God. And I want to say this, I'm glad to be in this kind of fellowship. I really am. It's where you love one another and care for one another. And it doesn't matter for the majority in this place, whether somebody has a fancy suit on or they don't. We just want to love one another. I rejoice that when you come here, that you do not have to come here worrying about, will I be accepted because of the color of my skin? Or will I be accepted because of my race? Will I be accepted because of my background? One of the things we've learned here is that we're all sinners saved by grace and we're a family. And when we come together, there's a oneness and a love to share with one another. That's what he's talking about. And when we take of the Lord's Supper, it's coming in thanksgiving. I thank God for that. And like Paul said, we may not have a love feast. Our fellowships, that's the reason we do them. So you get together and laugh and get to know one another and things of that matter. But one of the things is that we might always be a family to love one another and care for one another. I've often, I know I cannot always prevent trouble. I've often joked and said if we heard of anybody stirring up something, we would follow that verse in Malachi chapter 8, hang them on the nearest sour apple tree that you could find. I think it's chapter 8 verse 3. You can look it up when you get home. Malachi chapter 8. Maybe John 23 verse 7. It's one of them there. But I'm, I can't always stop that. But i tell you one thing, we ought to just, you know, one of the things here that's, that's been so wonderful is we're not focused on this stuff. We're trying to focus on what is good, focus on Christ, forget all that kind of stuff. Somebody wants to gripe, they want to be miserable, let them gripe. They want to be miserable. They want to risk getting whipped by God, let them go ahead. But for the rest, of, we're just going to serve God and love Jesus. And all we do is to promote fellowship and to protect fellowship to glorify the very one that, done, that has done this. And the whole thing is to care for one another. Always be a caring people. Don't, don't ever, don't ever get to the place that you would stick your nose up at somebody or you would snub somebody because of the way they look or the way who they are. That's not Jesus. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't act that way? But He loved everybody, cared for everybody. May we always be that way. God, help us to always be that way, to open our arms and to love everybody as Jesus loved them. Father, tonight in Jesus' name, 
We thank you for the principles we glean from your word. We thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. We thank you, Lord, for giving us a word that really confronts every area of our life. Lord, I pray you bless us as a church. I pray, Lord, to bless our fellowship, our oneness, our unity. The love that we have here, increase that. Mature that among us. May we love one another. And Lord, may we express our love one an, to one another. May we always be caring about one another and ministering to one another and helping one another and enjoying one another. God, promote and bless that oneness in here. And God, put a hedge about us and protect that oneness we have. And then may we never forget what you did for us. May we realize, Lord, that all these dear friends that we have here tonight, that, Lord, they are our friends because of what you did for us. Lord, the majority of us in this room tonight, our past would have never crossed in life if it hadn't been for you. So may we never forget what you've done for us. May we never get over the price that you paid. May we serve you. May we follow you. May we glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to